Lucas Tigers and Bronze is brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. HGA is revolutionizing the industry by implementing software that will allow them to scan, analyze, and grade cards without subjectivity. This allows for consistent and unbiased grading. They have an easy submission process and best-in-class customer service. All right, Luca Nation. I'm going to keep this uh, short because more than likely you're one of the followers, one of the 40,000 followers of this guy's account. And I'm going to ask him some questions about how he built up that account because I'm curious myself. But this is this is a guy that is as well-respected in the hobby, you know, for that millennial generation, for that youth generation. And I'm really excited to have him on our 10 for 10 series from a collector standpoint because – Pretty sure he's going to be in the Boston area on the, at the Causeway show this weekend. So if you're in the tri-state area, please stop by. Mike, MC Sports Cards, welcome to the show, man. It's, it's really good to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, you know, a lot of my friends have been on the show before and seen a couple episodes, so I'm glad I could finally get on. It's funny, man. You come highly recommended. You know, we told folks we were doing the 10 for 10, and, and everyone's like, you should have collectors on. You know, stop, stop with the whole, like, big names, you know, the whole, you know, the, the whole parade get on real collectors. And when we said, all right, well, who's a quote unquote real collector? Like who's somebody you want to hear about their collection history? Your name just kept coming up, which is mm -hmm. pretty cool. I mean, that's, that's like a, a vote of confidence. You know, like you have one of those like Academy Awards and it's like, Oh, I'm just happy to be nominated. Well, you were nominated. You know what I mean? <laughs> People wanted to hear about you and your collection and your journey. And you no, know, Andrew yeah. wants to hear about it as well. So I'll shut up. But I just wanted to tell you, I mean, obviously, you, the people definitely want to hear your story. So that's cool, man. No one wants to hear my story. <laughs> what, what, what do you got on your shirt there? What is what, Express what? PSA Express mail? Oh, no, it's, mail. Just, it's just an Express mail shirt. Um, you know, I'll just do a lot of shipping. So I have a, <laughs> I have a shirt that says Express mail. And it's, it's kind of cool. I could see that being like one of those vintage shirts that sells for like yeah. K on yeah, eBay one day. Listen, um, I actually bought the shirt with companies. The old, you had to buy it. Yeah. Well, I bought the shirt for my girlfriend, like for Christmas as like a gimmick gift. And somehow I wear it once a week. Uh, it's very comfortable. And, okay. So a couple yeah. problems. Number one, you just told everybody your girlfriend's the same size as you. Number two, that you paid for the shirt. If you do enough business with places, you can get, you, you can get free shirts. I mean, I have like four from the sperm bank. So I mean, like there's, I mean, like there's all kinds of craziness in the world. But listen, he's got a postal service shirt on. I mean, I got a PSA shirt. You know, there's all kinds of fun shirts. Andrew yeah. likes the if, shirts. If, shirts are his if nothing else, like I've I've heard stories about those places. That means you got some good swimmers. So shout out to well, you. Just that I'm there. I'm a frequent flyer. <laughs> Mike, talk to us. Like you know, how old are you? Are, are, are twenty seven. Twenty seven. Have yeah. you been collecting your whole life? Are you one of those stories where you took a break? What's the origin story of MC Yeah, so I started collecting in about 2006 and I was 12 years old and I would just build a lot of sets like, you know, the basic tops, series one, series two update sets. I would do that every year. Um, <clears throat> from there, started doing 
a little bit of buying, selling, trading, going to shows, um, making a few flips, just recycling the money. And over the course of the 12 years, it's kind of just grown into what it is. And a lot of, a lot of the newer collectors, they see people like me or other people with, with nice collections. And they think that it's like an overnight thing or, or it's very, you know, very quick, but you know, there's a lot of hard work and behind the scenes that goes into it. And like I said, it's, it's been like a 15 year journey so far. Well, listen, that 15 years is big because that's the same type of story we hear from everybody. Did it as a kid, did it as uh, young teens. Then, you know, high school came, didn't really do it as much college. I kind of lost it. And then, you know, maybe I got back into it in the last couple of years. It sounds like yours did not have that type of journey. All right. Yeah. I I never took a break. Um, Yeah. I, I actually like gave up a lot of other stuff to, to do cards because I was just so obsessed with cards. Well, that's an important part, right? I mean, that's so the people who look at you and say, oh, wow, you know, it's overnight success. He's got the cards. No, I mean, they were, you know, they were things given up. You know, I mean, in high school, you didn't do the math club. I mean, you weren't doing Dungeons and Dragons like all the other cool kids were. You were doing baseball cards. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, back then it wasn't cool to do cards. I, I wouldn't tell a lot of people. Like in college, I only told a few people and, you know, I hid my cards in the dorm room and, <laughs> uh, but now it's like you, you tell people this everybody says oh i hear about cards they've blown up like it's crazy now and it's really did nice your friends ever hide your cards like did they ever play any pranks on you and like oh you got home and oh where are your cards no Why? they they knew better not to touch my cards. <laughs> where'd you go to school illinois state illinois state but you're are you from the new england area originally? no i'm from the the midwest I'm picturing an after-school special, Andrew, where, you know, like the cops come in, they raid the college room, and they look under the bed. You know, there's socks over there, you know, under the bed. Interesting socks. And then there's a shoebox, and the cops head towards the shoebox, and you expect it to find, you know, that good northern lights, the hydroponic stuff, you know, all the paraphernalia maybe. But no, it's just slams. And the cops go away empty-handed because they're not going to book you for your LeBron James card. (laughs) So yeah. it's, it's yeah. interesting stuff, man. It's, it's a lot of fun. So did you stick with baseball? So I started with baseball and football and just kind of started doing everything, um, you know, through the years. And a lot of it was because I would do a, a big trade or buy a big collection that had everything in it. And by dealing with everything I would, and processing that, I would learn about different sports, different players. And then from there realize that I should probably be doing all, all four major sports. By the way, Andrew, do you notice that? We've heard this now. A common refrain from our big-time collectors is that overlap among sports because it allows you to make bigger and better deals with a wider variety of people at a show. Sometimes yep. it's cards and cash. Sometimes you got to take basketball and football. So this is now – it's not the first time we're hearing that. It's important because it's not even something that I personally thought about. You know, most of the people that we get in, you know, the, you know, the, the upper echelon of business-wise, they got very good at one thing. Right. But I guess the collector, if you're going to be wheeling and dealing at shows and there's going to be other high end collectors or other collectors in the same kind of, you know, lane that you're going to be in, you kind of have to be up on who's the football cards, who's the basketball cards. That way, if you have a card you want to move to somebody, you might have to take back multiple sports in exchange. You're doing a big deal. You have to take in everything that the person is offering you in a bigger deal. And then you wind up researching it. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, if it's a card that I'm not attached to, chances are I'll take literally anything for it if the value makes sense so like you know i could trade a big lebron card and if you give me a bunch of random hockey stuff that adds up to a great 
deal that I know is worth selling, then I'll, I'll probably do it or something close to it. So like just being like that helps learn a lot about everything. Can we'll we talk about you this? Have a question. You have a question, but well, we got to come well, back this, to LeBron, Andrew, because I know that's no, a no, thing, but it sounds like a skeptic is, pick. It sounds like he doesn't so, like LeBron. It sounds like he's a kindred spirit to you, but we'll get back to that. I got to ask you a question. <laughs> like guys like you and Sasha really intrigue me because I come into the hobby. I see two types of groups and you guys kind of sit between these and do. So there's the collectors, right? They're just, they buy and they're holding, they're holding one, two, three years. Uh, typically, you know, 30, 40 year olds, 60 year olds. And then you have the younger generation, right? They're, they're flipping these base cards. Uh, they're, they're always moving and dealing and they don't have much of a PC, right? Th that's kind of me. Like I, I'm always moving and dealing, but I never had and built up a PC. Then I see guys like you and Sasha and, and like, just like looking through this, like guys follow him. I'm sure you are, but like MC sport, MC underscore sports cards. Um, you're constantly posting these huge lots or huge pickups you have of these high end cards. Mm -hmm. But then the next day they're gone. So like, how do you, how do you balance, right? Like you're flipping these higher end cards, but you also have a PC. If you don't mind, like, I, I don't want you to give out all your trade secrets, but I hope this next like 40 minutes, maybe some of the people like that are in my position, you know, 25, 30, 35 can learn a few things from how you do your business. Cause I think it's fascinating. It really is. So I'll, I'll shut up, but like, that's my angle. And I'm curious to learn from you, Mike. Yeah. So something I learned like about having a PC versus flipping, like, like you said, a lot of newer people are just flipping base cards and, and everything is like, I didn't really start keeping cards or, or PCing really good cards until like three years ago where I felt that I was at the point where I could afford to do that. Because if you want to keep a lot of stuff and you're just getting started, then that's going to, it's going to interrupt your cash flow, and you're not going to be able to buy everything that, you could possibly buy if you didn't have a PC with the money tied up. And, you know, a lot of times for people getting started, just putting the money in and out, in and out it is really a good way to, to snowball and compound and, and get to a, another level quickly. Um, Do you remember your first level? Do you remember like when you first jumped, you know, from, you know, I have like two, 3000 to like, uh, now I'm at a, a bigger level and I have a bankroll. Do you remember that? Part? Yeah. So, so what did it for me was over the years, I've, I've been lucky enough to get into a good deal at a show where I'll, I'll buy a deal for a few thousand and, you know, triple my money or double my money and then just put all that back in. And a few months later, find another deal that's a little bigger and you could double or, or triple and something, or you buy a raw card and get a, a good grade on it. And it's, you know, it could be a thousand, couple thousand dollar bump. So I, I've been lucky with a few of those big deals and, and they gradually got bigger and bigger over the years. And those are really the things that, that can move you forward quickly. And I mean, look at these pickups cage. Like this is just the, like, this is a, an just average Tuesday yeah. for, <laughs> for MC's 27 year old stash man, Mr. Mikey. The stash is only a couple weeks old. That's never been here before, but it's, you're trying it something new. Um, but no, going going back to it, it's just like it, you get to a point with these higher end cards or just mid end cards that if you have enough of them or enough of stuff that people want, you can constantly be moving something and getting something in, and therefore, like you're all if you're always getting something in, it's easier to move stuff out. So, like the spot I'm in right now is I get a lot of these really big cards and I post them. And, you know, a $50,000 card, I'll trade it and the guy will give me 10 cards 
and I'll post those 10 cards that are worth 50,000. And then someone else will come along when I post those cards and it's like a never ending cycle. So that, that's why I'm able to always post that kind of stuff because a lot of it, like I use that stuff to get other stuff versus just buy and sell. Well, listen, let's also, let's set level set for our audience, right? If somebody's yeah. out there, you know, listening to this, you're not going to be able to have the deal flow that Mike has right now, right? Because he has this audience, he has this page. When he puts these cards up there, the deals find him. People know who he is, he's built that reputation up. That doesn't mean you can't get to that level, right? Yeah. But there's hustle, there's grind, there's showing up in a lot of shows, there's square dealing, there's fair dealing, there's, you know, people know they can give you cards for value. Uh, people know you'll take cards, even if it's not something that, you know, is the most desirable thing in the world. Um, and, you know, it's all about building up your reputation in the space over time, right? So, you know, people can get there. But yes, I mean, is, is this all you do? Yeah. Is this it? That's Professional, full-time. So this is yeah. your business. So, I mean, that's part of it, Andrew, right? I mean, you know, you're always, you got to always be moving your inventory, right? Your inventory can't get stale. Yeah, but how do you move some of these cards? Like, you, you have some of the coolest cards in these pictures. Like, uh, you just got a Kobe auto, and you're like, and, and you, and then you have a Giannis Gold hoops card. Like you're just like, all right, on to the next one. Yeah. So I, I do a lot of eBay too. So a lot of the stuff gets listed on eBay, whether it's auction or fixed price, like buy now best offer. And, um, <laughs> you know, I do have a good following on eBay, so I, I am selling quite a bit, and I'm using a lot of that money to to buy some of these monster cards as well. So like going back to just the constant in and out deal flow. Um, you know, that, that's really all it is. And, and getting those cards, a lot of it is through trades of moving a better card, like I said earlier. Um, and then you just get to that point where it's just a never ending circle. What, what's your, what's your untouchable? Like if you have a Mount Rushmore, you know, we always get asked that what's your, what's your top four? Yeah. So I would say Brady champ ticket, um, LeBron exquisite RPA, Brady Refractor BGS 9.5 and fourth one is to be determined because I, I have like 10 cards that I feel are untouchable so it's hard to like rank them on the fly but you know th those ones I want to just kind of lock up and forget about and, and like your family your college friends they all know you you own these cards now like six years ago you were in the dorm doing a beer bong and like now you're like, oh, I got a Brady contenders, a Brady refractor, and to top it off with an exquisite. And I have seven more that I can't pick from. Yeah. So, so really, the only way you know I have these cards is if you follow me on Instagram. I don't, I don't really go out and tell people much. I'm, I'm a pretty like closed off, private. But besides posting cards on Instagram, I don't do a lot of like vlogs or, um, you know, I don't have a YouTube series and and all that i mean I, I enjoy doing like podcasts and, and being on them a couple times a month but my style has always kind of been like more low-key and you know smaller circle so yeah my my family and friends they know some of these cards and again if, if you follow me on instagram and you see me post it that's how you know i have it you're doing consignment now right like what, yeah. what made you want to get into that route you know and how long have you been doing that yeah so you know, consignment's a good opportunity. I think with some of the factors that have gone on with eBay and other big sellers lately, I think it opened up a, a door for a lot of us to take on more consignments. Um, you know, I, I also really have been trying to grow the eBay business and the overall sales numbers. And 
I think taking on consignment is a really good way to propel that. And, um, you know, it's been about six months now and it's, it's growing step by step and hoping it could keep this pace. Are you a one man show like this guy? I, I, I would take you, I would stake you at a poker tournament. Like you're not, nothing, nothing rattles you. You're just a one man show, you know, like that Bruce almighty thing. Like now. So I was, I was until the, uh, the beginning of this year. And now we have a, a team of four total people. You and bought out the, your local USPS and they gave you that. <laughs> yes. 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 I told them I said in, in exchange for thousands of packages a month, I need a free t-shirt. You bought the local <laughs> PSA group supper who was put out of yeah. business. So yeah. no, we have a, we have a team of, of four of us and everybody works super hard and works well together and, and we get a lot of stuff done. So it's, it's good. And that's a consignment business. Yeah. I mean, most of the work now goes towards consignment, but a lot of it too is, you know, back end stuff, pricing, research, um, just different things. I'll buy a a bulk collection and I'll go through some of it. One of my guys will go through some of it. We'll price it out. We'll list it on eBay. We'll figure out what gets auctioned, what gets buy it now and what gets graded. So everybody does a little bit of everything, which, which I really like that because Doing the same exact thing every day gets boring. I mean, you're doing cards every day. It's got to be yeah. fun. Well, I guess doing Some cards learns. every day, but doing the same thing in cards every day. Like if you were sorting $20 cards all day long every day, that you might get burnt out. But if you just do a little bit here, a little bit there, it keeps you refreshed. What's one thing you hate about the hobby? What's one thing you love about the hobby? It's a good question. Um, he has a few of those. He has a few of yeah. those. He's, he, he surprises you every now and again. Yeah, I'll start with the thing I love because that, that's a lot easier. Um, for me, like something that. is Not like optimist. the people I've been able to meet through cards that have that have helped me like outside of cards, um, just through the connection, whether it's somebody who owns a certain type of business or, you know, I, I was friends with a guy who owns a heating and cooling business and he once did my firm, my, uh, my furnace, like stuff like that. And then also on a, a higher level, I've been able to meet some, some people who are high up in the business world because of the high end cards. And, um, they've helped me out getting into different investments or just giving me some good advice on, on investing in cards or other things. So I think that's what I love, just the, the connections and, I've met a lot of people who I've dealt with, who I've, you know, became good friends with over, over the course of the years. So I think the connections is, is a thing for me. And you hate how long grading companies take to get our cards back to us. Yeah. Um, see, I, I do, but I also have so much going on that I send the cards off and I think of it as a bonus when they come back, but the, I don't little know. Man, the little man and woman don't think so that got into the hobby this January or February, right? Yeah. They yeah. need that for their cash flow to get that. Yeah. I, when we first started the show, I, and a few of our people are doing that, MBT, shout out to him, are doing that snowball effect, right? It's like yeah. you buy the first cards raw, you send them to get graded, you get the graded, you sell them. Now you have a slightly bigger snowball so you can go after slightly bigger cards. But that snowball used to you know, accumulate a lot more rapidly with a lot more return. Now yeah. it feels like, you know, by the time it accumulates, it already melted, you know? 
Yeah. Well, grading's actually helped me through the years too. Um, yeah, I was grading base cards in like 2011 and 12 when a nine, five of the top prospect guy base card was like $30, but you were paying $5 to grade it and buying the card for $3. And like at that time, nobody was really doing that. Cause it was just, you, you were playing with small amounts and but no, that it added up, right? Like, yeah, but what I would do is I, I would go and, you know, if a card, if these cards sold for 3 to $5 on eBay, I wouldn't mind paying 6 7 $8 for it because as a, you know, you put $5 into grading and you get $30, $40. So doing that really helped me early on. But once grading became what it is now, like it, it's just way harder to do that. But when PSA was was open and a little quicker, I think a lot of newer people caught on to that method and, and we're doing well off of it. So Mike, that's my, I mean, you won't talk about what you hate, but we'll get you there. So, so I'll, I'll, say, that's I'll, what I'll say something about, yes, let's go. Yeah. Probably just like some of the shadiness and, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, fraud, all that stuff. You know, I, I get returns on eBay for. Call someone out. Call somebody out. <laughs> Cause yeah, cool. I, I see, you know, anyone out. I'm not going to name any names, but I'm sure you guys could put your finger on uh, what's going on with a certain somebody right now. But like just stuff like that. It's, we don't play in those crowds. We don't buy hundred thousand dollar cards, MC. So yeah, I, I think I know who you're talking about. I'll speak for myself. Cage does. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want to get involved in anything. But if you follow any of the big news card accounts, you you probably know. Yeah, it's ever out there. So, so what happened? I, I, I'm not in the know. Can we talk about it or are we not allowed to? Yeah, so pretty much there's an individual who um, got caught doing some things with cards. And, you know, once he got caught on one thing, a lot of stuff started coming out about it. And oh, Danny that, boy, the pipes, the pipes are cold. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> You know, again, I'm fine. I don't we, like we won't talk about it. I, I have a better question for you. Hard work on the we'll move hard work aside. I know you work hard. Your team works hard. How much does luck play into where you are right now? Uh, you know, luck play. Like, I feel like everybody who's really successful at something has like a lot of it or a good chunk of it is luck. And I would say like the luck piece for me was a I got in super early in 2006, um, you know, be like, I was doing a lot of these things that are really popular today way back when. So now like doing it today, I'm really good at it. So that gave me a leg up. So, I I mean, you could consider that luck or skill or so be it. I, I say it a lot. Like I got lucky. I got into cards at the right time or, you know, I bought certain cards at the right time, but you know, there, there's only so much of it that can be luck versus skill because it, it's how you like how you use the different things you learn that can be considered luck. Like I think luck starts it off, right? Yeah. And what you do with that luck, right? I mean, there are people who are lucky enough to buy a CryptoPunk NFT or to buy a Michael Jordan rookie card or whatever it may be, but those lucky people didn't all hold them. You know, there are yeah. plenty of people who yeah. got in Michael Jordan at nineteen thousand dollars and sold them at forty. You know, et cetera, et cetera. People who had I, I that LeBron that too, yeah. exquisite who sold it way before yeah. now, you know. So 
So luck is luck is what starts you off. It's what you do with that luck. Andrew, if you don't yeah. mind, my question is because we were talking about the little guy, and you bring this up all the time. You're basically like the people's champ when it comes to you know value to our our, our audience members, and you know you're always championing the whole you know PSA has kind of left people in a lurch a little bit here and there, and that that used to be the come up, Mike. You have a lot of people who follow you. Obviously, you know, you give off good vibes and, and you know, you, you send a good message. You don't want to talk bad about anybody. You know, you want to keep it positive. You know, you don't like the fraud and the crap in the industry. Yeah. You know, I try to ask this of most people, and, and it's great a collector like you because, you know, you've been in for 15 years. That 15 years brought with it several peaks and valleys, right? It hasn't just been a straight up. Most of the people yeah. we talk to are people who came back in a couple of years ago and have basically seen nothing but the luck. Nothing but a, yeah. a, a rise, right? So, so it's a, a great question to ask of you because I think you, you bring some insight to it that a lot of our audience has only been here a couple years, 18 months, you know, two years. The question, because I'm long with my frigging question intros and I apologize, is what do you say to those guys, right? There's a lot of people out there who right now wake up in the morning and maybe they're a little burnt out by cards. Maybe they're a little like, you know, the cards are not doing for them what they did six months or a year ago. A lot of that is because it's harder. A lot of that is because there's more grind to it. A lot of it is because a lot of the resources that were there for them a year or two ago aren't there. But what do you say to yeah. those guys? Is you know, you know, you know, touching on your experience. Yeah. So you know, I think a lot of it too is just kind of knowing what you're doing now. Like you can get into it 18 months ago, and you could just be buying what other people are telling you to buy and have no idea why why you're buying it. Or that now, if you took the extra time or take the extra time to do like that next step of, okay, uh, everyone's buying Luca Prism PSA tens. Why, you know, why are they buying it? And sometimes when you look into why are they doing something, you can realize like, okay, everyone might be doing that, but I think that's not the right thing. Like I think that that's just a fad. Or you could look into it and say like, you know, holy shit, that I, I feel like there's actually good good reason to buy this. So by doing your own research and work, I think that can avoid a lot of the people like losing money or buying into something at peak and, and getting burnt out. Cause you really only, you're, you don't get burnt out on cards if you're doing well, like the, let's face it, you're not going to kill it on every deal and then wake up and say, wow, I, I'm just done. I, well, I don't that's the thing, it. right? I mean, and, and we built our ranks while it, while the going was good. Right. And when, yeah. you know, when there's a little more of an uphill climb, when there's a little more of a grind to it, we shed some of those people. And they're yeah. all, can, people you now. Kill, can you kill it on every deal, even in a down market? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't win every deal or, or kill every deal. Sorry, but, you know, I, I know how to put myself in a spot to where I can't lose or get too hurt. I mean, obviously, there's risk with everything. I've, I've taken big chances before on, on cards. I've lost big. I've won big. Um, you know, in a down market, though, like if you're buying the right stuff and you kind of know and, and you can project where some cards are going to go, whether that's up or down, you, you could still make money. It's not as easy. You really need to start knowing what you're doing more um, and, and like experience comes into play there. But yeah, in a down market, like, you know, if the stock market's down, people still make money if you know what, what you're doing or what to buy at a certain low or, or what to short or, or something like that. Cage, what's that quote? It's uh, bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. Pretty much. I never really under I never understood. Get pigs get slaughtered, something like that. I never my knew favorite, what it meant, but I like it. My favorite was always you make money in a bull market. 
but you get rich in a bear market. Or like, uh, what is it? It's like, teach me your ways. Buy the rumor, sell or sell. buy the rumor, sell the news. Yeah, yeah. That's the, yeah. So, but like going back to what I was saying about like the Lucas, for example, like everyone's buying these Luca Prism PSA tens. They're doing fifteen hundred dollars. This is like a year, a year and a half ago. They're doing fifteen hundred bucks or whatever. If if somebody looked in and said, "Okay, I'm going to check the population to see how many are out there. I'm going to check, you know, other similar caliber players, see how their stuff sells." And like, if if you took that step and you realize, shit, there's fifteen thousand of these, it's probably not a good buy because they can fluctuate too much. Or, wow, like you know. Kawhi PSA 10 2012 is only doing 20% more than Luca and the pop is way less and it's iconic set first year prism Kawhi's done everything Kawhi's done so like it, by taking those steps you can start to make connections can we talk and, about those two players can we talk about those two guys yeah because do you think Luca's maybe the player the most riskiest player out there right now because of He's still priced so high. His pop is so high, and he needs to accomplish so much. Would you be investing in Luca? Yeah. So I I, I really like Luca. Um, you know, I'm not like putting the house on Luca, but I have some nice stuff of him, and I think there's potential. I think what I've noticed in this market, and this this can explain why like a lot of people will say, how come Luca sells this much, but Damian Lillard rookie autos are so cheap or Kawhi rookie are so, are so cheap. And a lot of it is because like people want to feel like they got in from the beginning. So, you know, Luca is so high because people are all wanting to buy him, thinking he's going to get to the next level, which he may actually do. And they would be like, Oh, I bought Luca early. I bought Luca when his, uh, you know, when his NT was 10 grand, now it's a hundred and they don't care about, you know, a Kawhi NT that, only right now does like 10,000 when Kawhi's won the finals that he's won and, and has the, you know, the accomplishments that he does. So I, I think like, well, what's the action team, on that right now that you've seen that now you've seen the discrepancy there. What do you tell people? Do you tell people sell the Luca? You tell people buy the Kawhi? Like what's your, what's your, now you've, you've researched that you've, you've noticed the pricing discrepancy there. How do you act on that? So, so my, my fear, like with saying buy the Kawhi, buy the Lillard, buy, the Kyrie, which isn't really a good buy right now, but um, is like, I don't know if that stuff is ever going to catch on to get to a level of where these new guys are, because I just don't think there's enough demand, even though they're great players, great values. Um, you know, I, I don't think Luca is a sell, but certain Luca cards are a sell. So like a uh, base PSA 10, I think is a sell because there's a zillion of them. Uh, you know, uh, to keep it like, you know, of, of a solid level card of Luca, you know, maybe like a numbered parallel of something like that might be a buy, like a, a Don Russ optic out of, you know, orange, I think it's out of 249 or something. Like, I think you could still get that card in a nine for $1,500. So like that, I feel like that might be a buy and, and certain things are a sell. So there's very rarely do I feel like a player is a complete sell. Like I don't want anything to do with this guy. Um, and, and Luca definitely is not one of those guys. I don't want to group you in a bucket, but I, I, I love guys like you, Sasha. Uh, we'll talk about the whole thing with Sasha, but like Sasha says, you guys don't love giving out your players. 
like we, Cage and I, we do a show, we give out plays, which we call like a watch list, like go and do your own research and learn yeah. the strategy behind why we suggest that. Like one of them was like Mike Tyson memorabilia is so cheap compared to like the base silver or silver prism PSA 10s. But um, <laughs> you guys don't love giving out plays and tips. Is there a reason why for that? Like you don't want to be responsible or you're chasing after yeah, those cards? So I've I've never been opposed to giving advice or, or tips or anything. Um, obviously, like everyone needs to buy at their own discretion, but I'll, I'll never sit here and tell you to buy something that I personally don't think you should be buying. I'm, I'm not like a pumper and dumper. Like a few of those people have came and went in the hobby, um, you know, but I think a lot of these guys, they don't want to give out their trade secrets because know why why should they but my philosophy on it is like the more people that know how to do good deals or know what to buy it, it like helps everybody and everything in the market because if everyone comes in and loses their ass buying the wrong things then it's not help it's not helping grow the market so yeah, they're not going to stay in yeah so i'm going to lose the bad taste and they're gone yeah. Now, if I find a couple cards here and there that I'm like, holy shit, this is a really good buy or good value, or I think this go up, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell the world, hey, you know, there's only 500 of these. Everybody go buy them because I want to go buy them, you know? How many shows do you go to a year? Like, are you at every single show or is that, was that kind uh, of where you sowed your roots? In a normal non, non-COVID world, um, I, was doing, I was doing probably like, eight to 10 bigger shows a year. I, I've like kind of slowed down on some of the smaller shows. I used to go to everything when I was younger, I'd buy everything, flip everything. But now like I'm, I'm just so busy with what's going on here with, with my business and the consignment and the stuff I have and the trades I make. Um, but I'm still going to like uh, Dallas, Chicago, the national, I'll go to a couple New York shows here and there, you know, once in a while, Philadelphia, I want to go out west to a couple shows. Um, you know, I've done shows in the in the Midwest, like St. Louis, and and everything. So, I'm I'm curious. So, I mean, I'm loving this, and I appreciate you being so generous. You know, with your time, and there's a there's quite a few other consigners out there. You know, have you ruffled any feathers? Have any has anyone been like, "Yo, dude, kind of stay in your lane"? You know, you're you're a collector here. You you know, you're kind of stopping on our turf. Yeah. So not, not really. Um, you know, I think with PWCC leaving eBay that opened the door for a lot of consignment opportunity. And, you know, I, I consider a, a couple consigners that, that are pretty big. Like I've had a really good relationship with them. I've known some of them for 10 plus years. There's a few of them I, I talk to almost on a daily basis. So there's not really any like bad blood or beef or anything. I mean, they might feel that way about me and I've never told me, but like, I don't, I don't see it like that. Now, if I have like a guy who has always been sending through me and, and that's his choice. And then one of these guys who I consider a friend, they come by and call this guy and say, Hey, you know, stop sending a mic. Send me. And then it might get a, a little weird. Like I, one of my really good friends for 12 plus years in cards, he's very loyal to a different consigner. I've never once said, dude, start sending with me. Cause I consider that guy, that consigner a friend and like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. 
How important is liquidity? How important is having that fat stack of cash in your pocket, you know, just so because deals pop up out of nowhere, right? Like the best deals are like, hey, Mikey, you need to get this in the next 12 hours type of thing. So, yeah, just about that. Um, creating a, a good balance between cash and in inventory is huge. Um, we touched on it earlier about like if you PC stuff when you can't afford to PC stuff, then that, that can ruin your cash flow. But I think just being able to make things happen on very short notice is a, is a really, really good feature to have um, because then people will come to you knowing like they don't have to wait. There's no games, no BS, anything like that. Um, and, and for me, like my tip on on keeping a good cash flow is that I do a lot of eBay. So, you know, I can, I have X amount that I'm doing a day or a week on eBay that I can count on that if I need to go out and spend a six figure deal, I could know, okay, in, in a week or two, you know, at least I'll be guaranteed to get this money back through random eBay sales. So I'm I, make I a creating like a multiple avenues of revenue is the key and that might be hard to do if you're starting out and new but what you can do is you can you know you can sell graded cards or, or you can you know buy and sell wax and do do like little things that you could make money off of and, and don't just stick to one one thing there's this there's this influencer's name is grant cardone uh and we'll, we'll wrap here i know we got we got to go you, you're back in the office i think you have a ton of things that you you got to do this week because you were out yesterday so yeah. but there is i i don't endorse him but it's funny like grant cardone is his name and he always talks about cash flow right cash mm -hmm. flow actually is more important to his business than profit and here i'm hearing how you have this revolving door of cash flow and you're building that up Right. And that's allowed you to kind of PC and have this amazing collection. It's not necessarily you're taking a lot of profit. We talk about profit taking. It was just building these revenue machines. So it, yeah. that's something I'm taking away from this. this Mike, it's yeah. a collector show. So there's you couldn't give a top four, you give a top three, and there's another seven or so that'll fit into the potentially a top four. You got ten cards that are never leaving you. What's one or two cards you chasing? What's one or two that could be that number four that you don't own? So there was only one card I was chasing and I, I locked it in a couple weeks ago. And that was a LeBron exquisite RPA. Everything else that I, I really wanted, I've been lucky enough over the years to acquire. Um, you know, now there's a lot of stuff here and there that pops up that I'm like, wow, I really want that. But, you know, when, when you say make a list of things you really want, I, I feel like I've, you know, over the last 10 years, I've been able to get most of that. Now, like I, I want to upgrade like, to answer the question. I want to upgrade like my 52 mantle. So maybe a, a better grade 52 mantle is something I really want or a better grade Tom Brady rookie auto or, or something like that. <laughs> what do you, what mantle do you have? A six. A PSA oh, six. All right. You can't, yeah. I can't upgrade. If you were four, I, I would upgrade. I have a five. But you've already yeah. upgraded from where I am. I was going to offer my five as an upgrade. We can figure something out. But five? You've already you upgraded. Nice. Mike, do you care more about the grade or the eye appeal when it comes to like those cards? Or is I it a combination? 100% eye appeal. Um, you know, I've been grading for 10 plus years, and I've seen a lot of cards that I thought were going to get eights or 8.5s get 9.5s. I've seen a lot of cards that I thought were going to get 9.5s get eights and 8.5s. So, you know, you could see like a really – shitty centered PSA seven mantle or a dead centered, beautiful PSA five. 
and I, I think value wise, like it, it's close. And I, would I you that, would you do that trade? Like, let's say you were presented two PSA fives, you had one, and the other PSA five was the one you described. Would you pay an extra twenty k for the nicer one? Yeah, yeah. I've actually I've been on both ends before. I I traded at the national a beautiful PSA four, and the guy gave me an SGC four and a PSA two and a half, which was it was a great deal for me, but I'm not going to find a mantle that nice that easily. Um, but there's been times where I have upgraded and gave more than I, I thought I should. And there's been times where I've downgraded and gotten more than I thought I should. So, you know, I've, I've done, done both. So first tip I've heard from, I'm, I'm, I wish we had like this little thing down the side. So first tip is cash flow revenue. Second yeah. is the magic is in the trades. It's actually, I, I've, is that right? Like you're, you're nodding your head. That's where the magic's at. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like I say this all the time trading, you're not really spending money The your trade partners, not spending money. So that's always a leg up because you know, some people aren't as liquid or aren't liquid at all because they just keep buying cards. So trading, you know, you don't have to be like, I got to raise the money because you're, you're just trading the cards. If you have the cards, you do the trade. Um, another thing that, I always stress with trading is it gets people to move things that they would never sell. So, you know, 52 mantle PSA six, a guy has a, a five he wants to upgrade and never in a million years would he sell that five for cash. He might give me that five plus cash to get the six because he's getting something better. So they're like, from my end, I can never call the guy and say, Hey, how much for the mantle? And, and buy it outright. He would he would hang up. But if I say, hey, I'll give you a better mantle for yours, and and by doing that too, like you know, somebody's holy grail might be the card that you get by downgrading your card. So then it just like going back to the like consistent thing. And it's a win-win. It's people leave with a good taste in their mouth. By the uh, way, it's a genius because I have a mantle five. You have a six. You're looking for a seven, eight, or whatever it is, and I would not yeah. get rid of that card. But if you message me and said, hey, add some cash to your five, I'll give you my six for cash in your yep. five. I would now – I would get involved in that conversation with you. I'd, I exactly. would find out how much cash it would take, even though that yeah, part to me is exactly. right now untouchable. So it's, it's genius. It really is. And that's, Mike, that's Mike my – Mike only takes ETH, Cage. So. <laughs> I got yeah, some of that. That's my secret. And, you know, again, I don't mind giving it out because you're not like – you know, most people aren't going to be able to over the course of a week go from trading hundred dollar cards to trading that that level. So I don't mind saying a lot of these secrets. And if you you work hard at it and you could get to that level, knowing that knowledge, it, it can really help you once you get there. You know what really pisses me off? It's how much more expensive LeBron cards are than Steph Curry. Can you explain this to me? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of it is just LeBron is LeBron and he's always what does that mean? like in third grade, I was taught you don't define the word with the word. Like that's not a true definition. Like Le- I, I think well, like Curry's so the I, greatest shooter. LeBron's not the greatest anything. Curry's the greatest shooter. Okay. So I was born in 94. I probably going to make you guys feel a little, um, you know, Jordan. That. <laughs> I'm younger than you, dude. I'm still in college. I'm, I'm I'm raging tomorrow. Yeah, I graduated yeah. high school when it was born, so yeah, I'm old. Okay. Yeah, so um, I never watched Jordan play because when Jordan retired, I was like eight years old. 
So LeBron, I think a lot of it with LeBron selling for what he sells for is because like my generation, we, we seen LeBron from the time we were in diapers or we were kids and like same with Tom Brady. It's like, it's always been LeBron dominating the league, Brady dominating the league. And I think that has a lot to do with like the emotional attachment versus Curry is like, Curry's a great player. I, I, I love Curry. I enjoy watching him. But, you know, he came in the league in 09 and he wasn't really of crazy, you know, crazy caliber until like 2011, 2012. So it's it's only been a few years. or So that, that would be my explanation. I could be wrong, but I think there's a lot of emotion in cards. And whether you admit it or not, like I'm not a very emotional person at all, but I, I see the connection. When you, were, when you were negotiating with Sasha, he was like in your face, like, let's do this. Let's do this. And you were just like, yeah, yeah. I'm very, just kind of very stoic, stoic, but you know, there is a huge emotional connection with cards and I'm, I'm sure I don't even realize how much of an emotional connection I have with some of these cards or players because I just don't. What gets you fired up? Like when do you get emotional? Is like watching your favorite team play. Yeah, I mean, watching Brady win a Super Bowl when when I'm a huge Brady fan or I have nice Brady cards, that gets me fired up. Or getting a closing a big deal, like getting a, a awesome card in trade or winning something you were chasing in an auction house or like that, that eBay auction, watching it down from the last few minutes. Like that's, that kind of gets me fired up. You have any negotiating tips, Cage? I know you this has been fun, man. This has been fun. No, this has been uh, this is a lot of fun. I mean, this is this is what the collector stuff is all about. I mean, I think we got the yeah. negotiating tips, but yeah, man, if you got any other we want to share to the audience, go for it. Uh, negotiating tips: uh, just be reasonable. You don't have to you don't have to win everything. I think from the Sasha video, you you might have been able to pick up some things that aren't the recommended negotiating tips. Um, you know, I I allow oh, people to make. I allow people to make money off of dealing with me. And a lot of cards I move people go up in the future because they're blue chip cards. I've moved cards for five grand that are now worth a hundred and the people still have it. So I think like just always being fair and, and reasonable and, and that's a good negotiating tactic. I mean, if I'm, if I'm doing like a $20,000 deal, I'm never going to sit there and counter you fight over a hundred dollars. Like I usually, my, my rule of thumb is usually like if both parties are within reason to start, I don't like doing like two or three back and forths. And even that sounds high. Now, if you're starting way up here, that's a different story. But if it's, if we're both on the same page, like I don't want to be like, I'll pay you, you know, 20,000 and the guy says 22 and I say 20, 20,500. And it's just like, it's an interesting thing. Like we, I come from a, a traditionally Jewish Russian family, a little Israeli in there. So like my dad is a negotiator and I always thought of myself as a deal maker. I actually think he wins most of the, but like, you know, negotiating and making deals are two separate things, right? Some people just yeah. negotiate for the sake of negotiating. Some people are like, I got my number. I'm good. I'm good. Let's go separate ways. Yeah. Last yeah. question. Uh, go, go ahead. But I have um, one more question. I will wrap. Okay. Yeah. Sorry take up time um with that being you, said you that doesn't you have to go you, you took one day off i don't have yeah i don't you have took to. one day off you had a national holiday you were um, yeah so, 
you know, with that being said, like, that doesn't mean you can just like walk up to me and steamroll me. Like I know what I'm doing. I, you know, I, I still know how to assemble a deal, how to close a deal, how to negotiate. But I just think it's all, it's like a bad reflection on me to be super nitpicky and, and yeah, leave some meat you know, on the bone. People that. walk away happy, man. You want somebody to come back. Yeah. Like right before us, auction deal, I did one with them also. And after we were done and we got to a number, I said, oh, we're done. We got our number. We're okay. And I handed him a Mariano Rivera 92 Bowman PSA 10, which at the time was about a grand. I said, yeah. Here you go. Now you're happy. I'm never doing a deal with you. Because you were, it took us a little while to get to the number. I got the number I wanted. I don't want you to turn around saying, like, oh, man, I, I paid too much or whatever it is. Here, now you get this little bonus on top of it. This way you walk away happy. And yeah. get on the bone. He can now sell that if he wants to blow it out for 500 800 bucks or whatever it was. All right, he's starting to make his money back on the deal already. You know, it's one of those leave a little meat on the bone. Why not? Everybody, everybody gets what they want out of the deal. Yeah, yeah, and and Sasha did he did leave meat on the bone. I mean, I, I was very happy with what I did with that card. You know, I think the next day after getting it, or two days later. So the number I paid was a number that I thought there was room on it, and by him coming down to it, like he left me room. So I don't have any sour sour taste or anything. Beautiful. What's your last question, Andrew? All of this young blood, young millionaires, these guys, there needs to be a Netflix show about all these cats, you know, from, from zero to heroes. Like it, it's crazy by like the age of like 20, you know, rips will be in at you. If I could give you any job in the hobby you wanted, you know, uh, what would you, you know, from golden to the running PSA to, you know, the fanatics brand, Panini, whatever it is, what's one role that you'd want to do within the hobby? Yeah, that's that's tough, man. I'm I'm very happy with what I do, and um, he's just being shy. He wants to run Carvin's Clubhouse calendar for him. <laughs> no, I, I think you know. Like, is Carvin on Clubhouse? This is huge news. I think having you know, I think a manufacturer would be cool. I would I would never do that because then it becomes harder to be a, a dealer or a collector because you have that conflict of interest. But I think the concept of being a manufacturer is, is really cool. I mean, like you, you mentioned golden or anything like that. And like golden's a consignment business. They do great. I have a consignment business. I obviously it's not golden, but I know how it goes. I know how, so like, that's not really my, my dream job in the hobby because I know how it is, but a manufacturer, I just think to like design cards or. If you ask me, you have golden beat on shirts. So like you're already winning there. Like, I know you yeah, don't have that peacock yeah, shirt. No, but... You guys just caught me on a. You caught me on. I a... love the shirt. I love. I like the shirt you're, too. You're a consigner and you're on eBay. You got to use the post office. You get in the post office there too. So wear that express mail shirt with pride, man. Yeah, yeah. Dude, my co-host, you're you're cashing in a dress shirt, but like, I mean, people are willing to pay big dollars for the vintage cheese that he's worn for 24 years <laughs> and have this fat kid screaming Goonies. Yeah, it's junk. Um, I got, I got one more question. Actually, right, I'm okay. gonna keep rolling here. I'm sorry, Cage. I know it's dinner time. <laughs> Chick Fil A is knocking at the door, but why does the hobby hate NFTs so much? I think they just don't know about them. Like I personally don't know about them, but I know there's potential. Um, do I want to know about them? Yeah. Do I have time to? Not really. So like, I would just buy what someone else who I value their opinion tells me. But I, I think. The hobby Lucas Tiger NFT. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The hobby is just, in my experience for 15 years, innovation in the hobby is 
it's very hard to break in the hobby. You know, all these new ideas I've seen come and go new grading. How many new grading companies have there been in, in the last 15 years that, that are actually relevant like that. People are like, yeah, I'm going to, no, they come and they go, they come and they it's go. literally BGS, PSA, SGC. Like, you know, that, that's a good example of how innovation is very difficult to stick in the hobby. And now you're seeing new platforms to buy and sell. Um, you know that, that, but to go back to a lot to of NFT, them won't be here. A lot of them won't be here in a couple of years too. I know what you're saying. Yeah, some of them I, I believe in. I, I definitely believe in a few, and some of them I think you know, might might come and go. But I think the hobby doesn't like NFTs because they just they don't know about them. They're used to holding their cards and seeing it, and um, you know NFT is not even like a real thing. It's literally digital art. And I think they'll warm up to it over time. I think a lot of people have warmed up to it. I used to think Bitcoin was really stupid and Ethereum, all that. And now, like, if someone offers to pay me in a deal in crypto, I get excited. So there it is. If, yeah. if, that's the title. If someone offers to pay me in crypto, I get excited. That's the move. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No PayPal freezing your account, right? Because you, you probably do yeah. some, big, some big amounts over there. So. And PayPal wants to snoop. Any final questions, Kate? This is fun. You're, you're different oh, vibe. You're very calm and composed for a 27-year-old, but you obviously Appreciate have a good head on your shoulders. Appreciate it. Well, if it means anything, the mustache makes you look 47. So we're okay. I mean, yeah, I act, I act 47. I hear you it all have the time. to. If you're not watching this on YouTube, you got this is a YouTube. This is a YouTube must. This one is a YouTube must. Mike, listen, I'm going to reach out to you and try to make some trades with you because it, it sounds like yeah. you're a pleasure to deal with. And yeah. Um, you know, a real asset to the hobby, and I'm glad we, uh, you know, we were able to make this work and have you on the Tepa Ten Collector Series because clearly you're a collector. Yeah, so, how many like 40, 50 year olds that you know are in the hobby that are respected would recommend a 25 year old? Like, literally, we got you know 20, 30, 40 messages of like, you got to have MC Sports cards on it. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it means a lot. I mean, I've I've worked hard at it and you know, maintain relationships and built relationships. Um, you know, these guys might think I'm. 40 for how I act too though but you know it's funny like on a quick tangent you know back when I was like 16 years old doing deals online or, or over text messages or whatever like I would meet these people at shows years later and they'd be like dude I thought you were like 50 like were you were you on the phone with them no nah, it's been it would be like email or text or online or whatever but like I've gone through like I've came across like old emails or messages I've sent 10 years ago. And like, I'm like, holy shit, like the way I word this, like I sound like an old man, like it's like all like polite and uh, professional and stuff. Okay. Do you remember when we first saw rips? Remember when we first saw rips? So we were in like an Instagram group with rips for a long time. And then we're like, Hey, you want to hop on and do a show? So we like hop on. And I mean, you've, you've met rips, right? Oh, I've, I've known rips since he was, uh, he was in Denver. He was like twelve or thirteen. He's he's grown a lot. It's it's been nice watching him. Listen, you we know, actually we hesitated putting him on the camera because, you know, people see how young he is. And you're like, all right, you know, like it's one of those things. You know, like are people going to try to treat him differently and try to take advantage of him oh. and stuff? Well, I uh, I docu signed. I sent a docu sign right to his parents. They had to sign a permission slip, the whole deal, and. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right, Luca Nation, we could ramble for years. MC Sports yeah. Cards, MC underscore Sports Cards. Anything else, you know, anything our community could do to support what you're up to? Consign with you? 
Yeah, I mean, if you've got cards consigned and you're not loyal to one of the consigners I consider friends, then, you know, give us a try. But, you know, just reach out whenever. Anything you see of interest, let me know. It might be a little slower on DMs nowadays, how busy I am. But, you know, I'll get back to you when I can. Five minutes instead of 10-minute response. But this is what I say. Like, with with consigners, with businesses – try like you could send five of your cards to one consigner and five to another and check see how the experience is and then make a decision right like we often make a decision before trying like yeah yeah it's okay also different cards do better in different consigners like so yeah it's yeah and also uh, just go ahead ahead, mike sorry i was gonna say with with the dm response time like i don't want (laughs) to veer people from messaging me but we actually have a separate account for consignments that's managed by my staff so those responses are extremely quick. If you message me individually, I might take some time or what's the account for the consignment? What's that? What's the account? Oh, for the account is yeah, it's consign underscore with underscore MC. The at is in my bio on my main page. So it's right there. Um yeah. So beautiful. Thanks, Mike. We appreciate your time, man. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you. This episode of Lucas Tigers and Bronze was brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. Take it from someone who has personally submitted thousands of cards for grading. HGA slabs just hit different. They're top of the line and color coordinated to match the card itself. The aesthetics are unrivaled in the industry. When paired with the ease of submission and the transparency of the pricing model, HGA stands alone as the best choice for grading your cards. I believe that once you try them out, you will agree. Thanks for listening, Luca Nation. Thank you for spending some time with us on another episode of the Lucas Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Um, do us a favor and like, subscribe. Now, you know what? Don't just like and subscribe. Everybody does that. If you like us, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell everybody. And uh, we hope you got something from spending some time with us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.